You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross, your host, and this is episode number 195. I have such an awesome guest today, and what is so cool is this podcast, you know what, you don't realize like behind the scenes, I don't always share about like, I have a quick conversation with someone before we um, schedule the podcast, and um, you know, and then we do the podcast, and we talk a little bit before and after, but Sylvia, who you are going to meet in just one second, Sylvia and I have gotten to totally connect in addition through Clubhouse since, and we have become fast friends. Uh, when our, this whole COVID situation is over, we are totally going to be together in person. And so I am so anxious for you to get to meet her, but her name is Sylvia Marusic and she's an activational speaker, founder and innovative mind behind Mind Body Works, a Canadian company focusing on creating and maintaining health and wellness in the workplace. As an occupational therapist with 30 years of experience and expertise in the field of health and safety, she emphasizes that prevention is the key to creating happy, healthy individuals, employees, and businesses. Welcome, Sylvia. Yay. Thank you, my sister from another mister. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. This has been such a blessing to get to know you and I don't believe in coincidence. It just is so magical how these things happen. And I'm so grateful. Me too. And it's so funny because I'm reading your bio and it's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, but she's so much more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, write it. <laughs> I know, she, you know, because you really are. You're just a bright light. And I mean, just, yeah, you bring light and loveliness. You really do. So I've really appreciated the time that we've gotten to to spend together. And yes, I can't wait. Uh, very soon, it's we're going to be in person. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't wait. You know, there are some people who you just, your heart recognizes their heart. It's not a, it's not a visual thing. It's not, it, you can't, it's, there's, it's an other sensory thing. And it's the only way I can describe it is that my heart recognizes your heart and it just, yeah, I just need to be in your presence. I need to actually meet you face to face. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, well, soon, soon. We just have to, yeah. you know, let that border open up between us and then we're good. <laughs> What's that? That's a small problem. We yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, we better get this interview rolling because people want to learn more about what you're up to. So tell me about the, your work. And what impact are you working to make in this world? Many years ago, when I worked on palliative care as an occupational therapist, somebody said to me one day, you know what you are? Because of course, in, in palliative care, an occupational therapist who is uh, a rehabilitation specialist doesn't really have rehabilitation as the goal. Mm -hmm. Right. When people are dying, your goal is not to rehabilitate them. My goal became to create hope for something, anything, 
what do you want to do in these last days? What do you want to see? How do you want to feel? What can I help you with? And so someone said to me, you know what you are? You're a hope broker. Oh, and that just like, it just made me cry, of course. And when I say those words, my whole body gets full of goosebumps because I feel like hope is a currency that without it, you're dead, like you're done. Mm. But if you can bring that to someone, it's priceless because you can't buy it. And so that has been my lofty, um, maybe, maybe, um, I don't know, could it, could it even be a, a little bit of an egotistical goal? I don't know, but that has been my goal. And I feel my purpose on the planet is to help people find hope. And I do that through professional speaking. My area of extreme specialty and focus is dealing with stress. And the reason I focus my efforts in workplaces is because both Canadians and those in, in the United States report that work tied with finances are the number one stressors in their life. So what better place to try and give people hope that tomorrow will be better than today and give them specific tools to help them get there than in the workplace. And let's not forget that a happy, healthy employee affects the happy, healthy bottom line of a company. And it goes in reverse too, right? When employees are not well and they're not engaged and there's absenteeism and presenteeism and all of that kind of stuff, that really dramatically impacts a company's bottom line. So I feel like companies, workplaces are such a great way to um, affect many things in a ripple effect. Absolutely. Now, Ev, I, I remember the first time I heard you use the term presentism. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. And so just yeah. in case people have not heard that term before, I love what you do with words all the time. Like you are so creative <laughs> with the way you put words together. But tell us about presentism. Yeah. So presenteeism is when you are basically what I like to call RIP, retired in place. <laughs> it's where you show up every day and you just don't really do a whole lot. Now, people can... Um, can display that kind of behavior for different reasons. One is because they're not well, uh, and that can absolutely be a, a significant cause of presenteeism. Basically, they're they're just there in body and just not being productive. So if people are not well, if they're struggling with a mental health condition or they're struggling with burnout or overload, that can be a reason. But the other reason, and this is a really big one, is they are disengaged. Mm -hmm. They are not wanting to be there. And this is their passive aggressive way of kind of sticking it to the company. So it can be more of a culture thing, or a morale thing, or a bullying thing that shows up. And, and the effect of that is, is this employee who is disengaged and displaying presenteeism lack of productivity. And boy, if you have that around your company, think of the dollars. I mean, if you want to kind of ignite the motivation to focus on this, invest in fixing this in your organization. So this isn't directly aligned, but um, statistics say that companies lose about two and a half hours per week per employee to drama. Now, this isn't necessarily, oh. you know, this isn't specifically drama, but yeah. 
drama to me is anything that's just focus away from where it needs to be. So uh, actually, my definition means you're probably losing more than two and a half hours. And we're yeah. not talking about the collateral damage, just the loss of productivity of that one person when they're engaging in something other than work. But boy, if you start putting dollars to that mm-hmm. time, you know, to, you yeah. know, the number of employees you have, uh, you know, a lot of money, a lot of adds up very quickly if you're talking. Sure. Yeah, yeah. When presenteeism is due to attitude versus illness, it is all about the drama. Mm -hmm. It really, really is because it's a very intentional um, way of showing up to work. Yeah. Intentionally being unintentional with your time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So um, what experience was it that motivated you to move into making this unique impact? Well, um, I'm not going to go through the long history, but I'll just say that I watched my mother um, die very slowly and painfully from an extremely stressful, difficult life. Mm. And I just watched like it was literally like she she didn't actually lose a limb, but it was like pieces of her were just dying off. Um, and she was very young when she died. She was 66 when she died. But my father was a very, very um, abusive man. And she she was the target, but also uh, all of her children were. And she was so powerless. And I just watched one physical symptom after another um, steal her light and her joy and her love and uh it made me, it made me want to do different. It made me want to be different Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to have that outcome. And yet at the same time, she was the most beautiful, amazing, gentle woman in the world who I did want to be like, but I wanted my health and I wanted to be a functioning, active um, person. I didn't want to die at 66 and I didn't want to have the degree of disability that she had in the last 10 years of her life. So that really pushed me into um, healthcare, as well as eventually, and I started in inpatient psychiatry, and I eventually found that every single place that I worked, and I worked lots of different units and different um, um, medical areas, um, in hospital, in clinics, outpatients, inpatients, I, I took on everything they would offer me. And in every single case, it always came back to the mental health. It always came back to psychological and emotional distress. And it always came back to stress. Even if I was working with, you know, people with spinal cord injuries, or I was working on a cardiothoracic vascular surgery ward, it didn't matter where I was. That's how I was bent. And then I became a professional speaker. Some would say by accident, I say by calling. Uh, and that was my area of specialty. I love that you took that motivation for yourself and now you're helping others avoid that as well. It's beautiful. Yeah. So thank you. When you think back to the work that you've done, what is one specific instance of an impact? And I know this might be hard because there are many, but one specific instance of an impact that you made that really fuels your passion for moving forward. Oh, you know. When you ask me that, the whole left side of my body gets goosebumps because <laughs> the side my heart is on because I know the story. Oh, 
And it just, every time I tell it, and it's been so many years since I left that unit, every time I tell this story that my whole left side gets activated because it just is so much a part of my heart. I was working on palliative care. I was new to the unit, still hadn't quite figured out what an occupational therapist exactly does with dying patients. But I had gone in to see this patient who um, needed needed some help. He needed to to be gotten out of bed, but he was paralyzed from the waist down, and he had lots of open bed sores. And so I was consulted to think about seating for him, or some kind of um, air filled cushion we could put him on to give him a change of position. And we got talking about everything but seating. And I said to him, and this is how it all began. Um, what do you want to do before you die? He said, I really want to go to the lake. And his wife was there and she said, but we know that's not possible. And I said, oh, are we sure? And they both kind of looked at me. And the next thing you knew, the three of us were thick as thieves every single day, planning what we needed to do in order to get him to the lake. How were we going to navigate the rocks? How were we, what kind of service would we use to, to get him out there because he wouldn't have been able to drive or handle the impact sitting up because of pressure sores and so on. So every day he had homework. You need to tell me, oh, I need a description of this. I need to know how wide the doorways are. And I had homework and I'm going to call this stretcher company and I'm going to call this wheelchair supplier and I'm going to call this orderly company. And every day for a week, we were like three little kids. So, and then I went into his, went, ran up to the, to the unit on Monday morning after the weekend. And the following weekend was the weekend we were going to the lake and I pretty much had everything organized. And so we were, we were five days from the lake and I ran up to his room and his room was empty. And I thought they moved him. Jeez. So I go to the front desk and I said, where did you guys move Mr. So-and-so to? And it was crickets, Kirsten. No Mm. one said a word because they realized that this was my first death. And somebody finally came around the desk and put her arms around me and said, he's gone, sweetie. And I lost my mind. I was hysterical Mm. because I felt like I had failed him. And his wife was coming down the hall. I guess she had been gathering his things and had gone to the washroom. She came, was coming towards me down the hall. I could hardly speak. And I just kept crying and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she comforted me and said, listen, he didn't get to the lake, but he was at the lake every day because of you. We all at the lake every day because of you. And I could not do that for him. And I've never forgotten that. That's the value of hope. You oh. can't express the value of it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's not, I have never, yes. And that story just perfectly illustrates that. Yes. He didn't make it to the lake, but, but he died with the hope of getting there. Yes. And in his mind and in his heart every day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the mind doesn't know the difference between what we imagine and what is real. You know, I take my audiences on a meditation 
that specifically proves that, and it's a meditation that involves a lemon, it, the mind does not know the difference. So when we look at creating hope, even visualizing that tomorrow or that something can be different is enough to make your body feel like it's different. Mm. It's magic. Well, and also you gave him a sense of purpose during those few days too, because what, how would he have been spending his time absent, you know, this thing that he was hoping to help make happen? Yes. Yes. And he had a journal to write in every day. He did his homework and he wrote it down for me and I read it and we discussed it and we laughed about it and it was just beautiful. I'll never forget him as long as I live. Oh, well that, I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, That sounds like the perfect, that's the perfect story to fuel your passion. And I know that's going to fuel a lot of people's passion who are listening to it. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. So shifting gears a little bit now, um, you know, every person who's working to make their own impact has to deal with challenges. And so what has been your biggest internal or external challenge challenge and how did you overcome it? Now, that's a hard question because there are so many, but I'll tell you, when it comes to my purpose, my biggest challenge, because my my tagline, you know, the soapbox that I get on um, with my audiences is, is that if you can create, if we know that we can create disease and illness, we absolutely know that. We have the proof of that. We have statistics to back that up in science, but most of us don't realize that if we can create sickness, we can also create create health. Mm-hmm. And there is plenty of evidence for that too. So I always considered myself, you know, to be the healthiest person I knew because I'm the health expert. You know, everything I talk about is about health and well-being and, and that's how I live my life. So my biggest um, challenge to my sense of purpose came Um, when I had just a routine mammogram last December and was diagnosed with breast cancer in early January, I literally could not believe they were talking about my breast. It's like, are you guys sure? And I ended up having surgery and radiation. And the problem, you know, there are many issues with that, but, um, and I, and I did great and I'm fine and I'm healthy and I'm well, but I felt like I had been a fraud. I felt like, oh my gosh, all the people that I told you can create health instead of disease. We have proof of this. Here are the things that we know based on research help us to do that. And then this happened. And, you know, my, I have a new business partner on a a new venture that I'm kind of um, starting. And she was the one who said to me, I said, I feel like a fraud. And she said, are you kidding? She said, everything that you've been doing for all these years has been preparation for this battle that you will win. Your parents died of cancer. Your two brothers died of cancer. Your sister died of cancer. Most of them died in their 50s. Mm. She said, it's not going to be you. You've been training and you've got this. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I do. I'm in the best health of my adult life. And is that because that is such a huge challenge to overcome and um, 
are, have you fully, um, have well, have you fully moved through? No, the emotional, the the mindset oh. shift. Are you fully through that? Because I I also had this thought of like, yeah, it's not perfection. It's um, but you created this foundation of what will help you battle this. And it sounds like if there's that much in your family, it is, you know, there's got to be a genetic component, right? It's a, there's a huge genetic component. Absolutely. What I did was I didn't go public with this right away because I kept wanting to find out what the, what the cancer was here to teach me. What was this actually about? Because I knew that it wasn't just about, in fact, I knew it wasn't really about me at all, but I needed to know what was the message? What am I supposed to do with this? And at first I thought it was about grief and about loss and about, you know, guilt and shame and all of these sticky emotions, because I always say our issues live in our tissues. So emotional things that we don't work through show up in the body in, in symptoms or sickness or, or conditions. Mm-hmm. So when I released all of that and worked on that for a few months, I thought, okay, I'm through it, but something seemed sticky still. And so I went into deeper meditation and for three days I asked, what is the meaning of this? And finally the answer I got was powerlessness. And because I had grown up in such an abusive environment, my need to be perfect was all about protecting myself and protecting my mom from my father's abuse. So that's how I did it. Like the best, if I'm the best little girl, I'm not going to get hit and neither will my mom, Mm. you know, I can protect us both. And so when, when that didn't work, I didn't stop trying to be perfect, but I became powerless because I realized that it mm-hmm. wasn't working. Now, a powerless person cannot combat cancer. So the ultimate message in all of this was reclaim your power. And what a, what a beautiful gift to give to the world. Like, that's why it happened. I needed to share that with people that, hey, dive down. Every illness, every sickness, every symptom is a, is a way of communicating with you that you need to work on something. Let's drill down and find out what that is and let's get rid of it. Let's work on it. The next day, I set some really hard boundaries that I really needed to do, really needed to set some, some really strong limits. And, you know, I exponentially just got better and better and better. I am considered cancer-free, you know, although the the type of cancer I was diagnosed with doesn't have a remission because it's hormone-driven, but I know that this is not the thing that's taken me out. I'm not going to have another tumor. I am not going to lose my breast. I am, I've had my surgery. I'm good because I took it out. Yes. Good. And I hear the power in your voice, reclaiming it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we all have to do that. And we all have some emotional baggage, some story we bring from childhood, you know, that we're not lovable or we're not worthy or we're not enough or we're, we need to be perfect. Whatever that story is, it runs behind the scenes like an operating system. And if you don't unearth that, you will keep making choices in your life 
that feed that version of yourself that you believe is you. But it's not you. It's a story. We're all just perfectly imperfect. Yeah, I always say if you're telling yourself a story and it's not working for you, flip the story. (laughs) You know, like that is one thing that we always have control over is the story that we tell ourselves about the experiences that we're having in life. Because there's the facts and then there's the story. Exactly. And we have control over what we allow other people to tell us in terms of stories as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, amazing. Well, I am absolutely celebrating that you are cancer free and we are proclaiming that, yes, that will continue to be. Thank you. Yes. So what words of wisdom on top of all the other words of wisdom (laughs) and hope and everything that you've been sharing today, um, do you have for others who want to make their own impact in the world? Oh my gosh, don't limit yourself. Don't second guess. Don't tell yourself there's too many people already doing it or I don't have what I need. Like d- d- just those those are the voices that keep you small. Because every single person that is doing what you dream of doing probably had those voices too. But if you really want to be unstoppable, you are unstoppable and find someone who is doing what you want to do and, and learn from them, get to know them. Come on clubhouse. (laughs) Free. Agree. (laughs) I resisted clubhouse with everything in me. I was like, my nails were in the carpet while my friends were trying to drag me into clubhouse (laughs) you made it look like I just wanted to be around you. Like you just made it look like something I really wanted to do. I just wanted to be around you. And I'm like, I got to go to clubhouse. I got to hang out with this girl. (laughs) And you know what? It's such a beautiful place to align yourself with people who are doing what you want to do and learning from them. I'm like a sponge in there man, I learned so much from you and Eric and Ben and all these beautiful people that have been on. It's amazing. So yeah, do not limit yourself. Don't listen to those voices that say you can't or you shouldn't. Do something that lights you up, that allows you to serve others in the world and and then just take a step out. But but fine, do your research. You know, make sure you get in touch with people who are doing that and talk to them about how they did it and see what you can do. Work with a coach, work with Kirsten. <laughs> right? Like, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I would love, I, that is one of my passions is helping people make their own impact. So yes. And I'm actually about to offer up time in my calendar for anyone who is having a challenge you know, just grab a spot. I've left a few precious spots for people. It's defeatthedrama.com forward slash call. So grab a spot and within 15 minutes, you're going to have some kind of breakthrough. Clarity, personal breakthrough, leadership breakthrough, impact breakthrough. So, but I don't want to get sidetracked talking about me, even though you brought me in there. (laughs) But I just want to say thank you so much. You have shared so much for people. I think this is one they're going to have to listen to multiple times to hear all the different aspects of wisdom and insight that you shared today. 
So really amazing. And um, again, so grateful that you're in my life and that we get to hang out. And yes, even though we can't be together in person, we get to hang on Zoom and we get to take walks together, or not Zoom, uh, Clubhouse and get to take walks together. I get to bring you in my packet. <laughs> oh, I'm so, so grateful for you and for the opportunity to share some of these things with, with your audience. I know that um, we all need good news and people have never needed good news like they do now. And the good news is, is that if you're struggling, it doesn't have to stay this way. There are so many of us out there who are wanting to help people and there is so much available. Just be brave enough to take a step out. It's work. Like it's not going to fall from the sky. There's no pill. Um, but just be brave enough to take a step out there and put a little bit of effort in and the rewards will just, it, it's literally an exponential increase. You do, you change one or two things in your life. And before you know it, that's rippled out to affect 20 things in your life. And, you know, whatever you're going through right now, um, things, things can be better. Yes. And the world needs your impact. Yeah. So get on with it. So yep. thank you, Sylvia, so much. If you guys want to connect with Sylvia, uh, you can find her at mindbodyworks.ca. And that will also be on the show notes. So to find those, go to defeatthedrama.com, click on the podcast tab, and go to episode 195. We'll also have her Facebook and LinkedIn information and Instagram as well. So plenty of ways to get in touch. So thank you again, Sylvia. I know I will see you, you know, quote unquote, see you soon in the clubhouse. And um, for those of you listening, get out there, make your bigger, bolder impact and make it a great day. And do reach out, grab a spot on my calendar. For real, I really am offering that. So take advantage. I'd love to chat with you and help you make a breakthrough. Again, that's defeatthedrama.com forward slash call. And if you are on Clubhouse, I just put a calendar up so you can see all the events happening in the Family Business Leaders Club, which is the club I founded there. And you can find that calendar at defeatthedrama.com forward slash events. We have lots of cool stuff happening every week. All right, guys, make it a great day. Mm -hmm.